Amen, amen. Hey, as you're taking a seat, would you give it up for our worship team up here? Appreciate you guys. Love you. Thank you. Thanks for leading us so well. Uh, yeah, go ahead, take a seat. Thank you for being here today. Good morning. My name's Andrew. I'm the Next Gen Director here. Man, let me just tell you, as, as someone who works with your kids, with your students, uh, I'm pumped about this new building that we've got coming up. I, uh, I Man, I realize kind of the situation that, that we're in with our different buildings kind of all over the place here. Man, praise God for it. Thank you, Lord, for these lease spaces that we have. Uh, currently, we recognize it is not ideal, <laughs> right? Um, for those of you who have kids, you know, like it's going to be so much better. Uh, all the moms said amen to this, to have your kids in the same building as you. And so, uh, man, we're, uh, we're looking forward to that. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be huge for our student ministry. Right now at the 11 o'clock service, we load up in our shuttle. We go over to the coffee shop. It's really cool inconvenient. And uh, man, we are we are really looking forward to being able to take our next gen ministries to the next level um, at this new building. It's going to be really, really cool. We're already looking at how we're going to renovate the spaces, how to make them just perfect for your kids and for your students. So uh, man, we are, we are pumped for that. I'm really excited for that. Um, man, we're going to continue this, uh, this sermon series that we started up last week that Pastor Adam started uh, called Build Your Church. We're talking to God in this thing. God, do what you want to do here. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, build your church. And I just want to recap a couple points so that we're all kind of on the same page in case you missed uh, the sermon last week. If you did, I so encourage you, uh, hop online, get on YouTube, watch that. In fact, right now, everybody that is watching online, welcome. Uh, everybody here in the Fremont, would you give our online audience a big round of applause? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, here's a couple points that Pastor Adam shares. I'll be on the same page. Uh, he mentioned this just a little bit ago. It's you don't go to church, you are the church. Language matters. And when Jesus is using the word church, right, or what's translated as our word church, he's not talking about a building place, but he's talking about a people, a movement, a gathering of people. And that's what the church is. It's a bunch of Jesus followers. That's why we say we are the church. Uh, the other point that, that I wanted to recap was this is the mission of the church was and still is to make followers of Jesus. So for all of us that follow Christ, this is our mission. In fact, really it's God's mission that we're partnering with him. It's to make followers of Jesus. And today I just want to expand on that point a little bit and kind of ask the question of why? Why is that the mission of the church to make followers of Christ? And for some of you that are like longtime believers, you got it, you know, like, well, it's, it's so that people, when they follow Jesus, they move from death to life, right? So that they get to spend eternity with God so that their sins can be forgiven so that they can have new life. And the answer is yes, you're correct. But I wanna take a look at this from a different perspective. Instead of the perspective of us being saved, to look at it today and answer that question from God's perspective of what God is after. And it's this, that God wants to be with his people. If you're taking notes, write that down. It's a simple thought, but God wants to be with his people. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me. Father, we love you. We thank you for being a good God 
Lord, you want to be with us. You sent your son to die, to be resurrected so that you could be with us. Father, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to better see and understand that. We pray that you would work through me and speak through me. Give me your words. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Let's pull on this thread a little bit. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go from the beginning of the Bible. We're gonna work our way through quickly. And, uh, and we're gonna try to trace this line of how God was with his people and how that applies from the church today. If you like Bible history and all that, you're gonna like this message. If that's not your jam, don't worry. I brought some pictures here. All right, let's get into it. So in the beginning, page one of the Bible, you see this, that God wants to be with his people. It starts out with this creation story, and really what it is, it's an, it's an ordering story. We see that God is a father, and what is he doing but creating the earth by making a place for his people, for his children that are, that are going to be here soon, that he's going to make. You know, the, 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 the creation story, if you look at it through that lens of a father preparing for his future children, a lot of you parents can relate to this. You know what that's like, right? When, especially when you have your firstborn coming. Um, I can remember this, my, my wife and I, especially when uh, our first daughter came, and I remember Nikki being like super pregnant, right? And like, not kind of pregnant, like super pregnant. And uh, we're in what used to be the office in our little two-bedroom house, and now this office is going to be transformed into the nursery, into the baby's room. And we're in there, and we're painting, and we're excited. And for some reason, like we decided to paint the room like three different colors. We were painting the ceilings. Um, I don't know why we thought the newborn baby needed like a freshly painted ceiling, but that's what we're doing. Like we're getting everything ready, uh, cleaning everything, like going and scrubbing baseboards, <laughs> whatever. I, I, I don't know. Um, that's just what you do, like kind of the nesting phase, right? But we are so excited for the arrival of our firstborn, of our babies that we are getting everything ready. And that's the image that we see God the Father doing here in the creation narrative is he is ordering everything. He's ordering the universe. He's ordering the earth, getting everything ready to put his children in there, to put humanity in the best place possible. Then we, we, we see this, that once, once humanity is made, there's Adam and there's Eve, and we see that God didn't just place them in there and back off, right? But we see that God was intimately involved within their lives. And, and this, is, this is such a neat verse. And we often read this verse kind of in the sin narrative as after Adam and Eve rebelled and they turned their back on God. But this gives you a little bit of an insight into what was life like in Eden after God makes humanity, Adam and Eve, and here they are with God in Eden. We see this, Genesis 3.8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Can you close your eyes and can you imagine that? Like in this garden. And, and sometimes we, we use the word garden. It's not like a, like a little orchard. Think of like national uh, like park, right? Like we're talking like big old garden here. <laughs> and, and here God is and they can hear him. They've heard the sound before of God walking in this garden, the presence of God right then and there with them. 
If God is a good heavenly father, then what's he doing? He's going on a walk, right? Getting ready to go on a walk with his kids. This is something that me and my family, we, we love to do. We don't do it enough. And anytime that we do it, we're always like, oh yeah, we should do that more. Is after we eat dinner is go like on a nice little walk. And, and like, let's take a note from God here in the cool of the day, going on a walk with your kids when it's not the cool of the day and the heat of the day is miserable, <laughs> right? Uh, but going on a walk in the cool of the day, um, this is what God is doing. He's intimately involved. This is the place, this is the Eden ideal where God gets to be close with the people that he loves, but we don't go past page three of the Bible without the whole thing falling apart, right? Because it is in this narrative right here that we see that Adam and Eve, like rebellious kids, turn their back on God, push their heavenly father away. They sin, they rebel. It's like high treason against God, saying, God, I don't want you. I don't want your ways. We'll take your stuff, but I don't want you. And they separate themselves through sin from God. And here we have this wall, this veil that's put up between humanity on one side and then God the Father who loves his children on the other. And now there's this chasm of sin that is separating God from the people that he wants to be with. And now the rest of the story, this is the, the summary of the Bible, is how then is humanity going to be able to be with the God that loves them and wants to be with them again. And we see in chapter 12 of the Bible that God chooses this man named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, it's gonna be through you and through your family that I'm going to work. It's gonna be through your family that I'm going to work, that I'm gonna save everyone, that I'm going to make a way to get rid of this wall of sin so that I can once again be with the people that I made, so I can once again be with the people that I love. And we see Abraham's little family an old man and wife, they have this miracle baby and this family starts to grow and grow. And throughout a few generations, this family has grown to a number of 70 people and they go down into the land of Egypt because of a famine. And inside of Egypt, this little family of 70 people continues to grow and grow into the hundreds, into the thousands over the course of a few hundred years. And the Egyptians look over at this family of Abraham and they get really nervous, right? Because they're growing and growing. And so they say, we're gonna oppress them. We're gonna enslave them. And the family of Abraham ends up enslaved. And you know the story, what does God do? He raises up another person named Moses, right? He says, go and tell them, let my people go. And, and God does a work in there and he removes his people through Moses. He delivers them out of the land of Egypt. He takes them through the waters and he rescues this little family that has now grown. Thanks so much. This little family that has now grown so much bigger into a whole nation, he set them free. And now this, this, this big old family of Abraham, they're, they're out in the desert. And what, is, what does Moses do? He leads them to this mountain. And it's up on this mountain that we get the Ten Commandments. And as you read through the book of Exodus, you notice that about halfway through the book, you get to the Ten Commandments and it occupies just a few chapters. And think about this. If this is the Ten Commandments, how many of you would say that's a pretty important part of this story here of how is this little family that is now a nation going to get along with each other, going to get along with this God that rescued them? It's kind of a big deal, but it occupies just a couple pages in, this, in the narrative. 
It's almost like what, what God is doing with the Ten Commandments. He's saying, yeah, this is how we're going to get along. This is how you're going to love me. This is how you're going to love one another. But what I really want to talk to you about is how I'm going to be with you. Here's what it says in Exodus chapter 25. This is God talking. He said, let them make me a sanctuary. Why? So that I may dwell in their midst. Saying, Moses, this is why I freed them. This is why I delivered them. Yes, it's to set them free, but it's because I want to be with my people. I want to dwell with this people that I love so much. And I'm going to do it through this sanctuary, through this tent, through this tabernacle that I want you to build. And then we see chapter after chapter of immense detail of describing what this tent, what this tabernacle is going to look like. And he puts together these plans and he makes a call to the people to sacrifice and to give for the building of this tent. And then finally, after like years of constructing like this work of art, it's finished. And the presence of God comes and rests on this tent and inside this tabernacle. And here's the place now, again, on earth. Since Eden, there hasn't been a place like this where God is going to dwell with his people. But was it ideal? <laughs> no, not at all. Only once a year could one person enter that tent to truly be in the presence of God because of this chasm of sin. And only then did this man walk in with a sacrifice and kind of trembling um, if he was ritually pure enough to be in the presence of God. So God is dwelling with his people, but it is no way an ideal part yet. But here's what happened. God's dwelling place went from a garden and now it's in a tent. It went from Eden to this tabernacle. For hundreds of years, this would be the dwelling place of God where God would meet with his people. And they would go into the land of Israel and eventually after hundreds of years, they would appoint a king. And the, David became king, you know, the one that killed Goliath. He grows up, he becomes king of Israel. And he's in his palace, his big old royal palace one day and he looks out his window and he sees this tent that was built hundreds and hundreds of years ago by his great-grandfathers. And he looks over to his buddy, to Nathan the prophet, and here's what he says. The king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in this house of cedar, this palace, but the ark of God, where the presence of God lives, it dwells in a tent. That's not right. And Nathan said to the king, go, and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. David devises this plan saying, we, we've gotta give this tent an upgrade. And so he starts sketching together and putting together the plans to upgrade this, this little tent into this amazing temple. It's going to be like a permanent residence, right? And getting away from like the starter home and getting into like the dream home is what David is devising to do. And his son Solomon comes after him and he's the one that commissions the work on all of this to take place. And then through that, this amazing temple was built. After years and years of planning and labor and gathering the resources, they built this place in the same way that the presence of God came to live in this tent. Now the presence of God, the dwelling place of God here on earth came to live inside of this temple. And it was in this building that God would dwell with his people. The dwelling place of God went from a garden to a tent 
Now it's at a temple. Still wasn't ideal. Still just one person once a year could go into the most holy place to be in the true presence of God. And generation after generation would go and it seemed that each generation got worse and worse and pushed God away more and more and more until eventually after hundreds of years of rebelling against God, God's people went into exile. They were captured by the Babylonians and the temple was destroyed. The dwelling place of God was taken away. God lifted his presence from it, allowed it to be destroyed. And now the the people of Israel are away in captivity. They're away in Babylon. They have no home, no place for God to dwell with them. After 70 years, they repent and they cry out and they say, God, would you forgive us? (laughs) Forgive us, Lord. We want to be with you again. Would you make a way for us to go back and through a miracle, they're allowed to leave Babylon. They're allowed to leave the Assyrian Empire, the Medes and the Persians, and they're allowed to come back to the land of Israel. And what do they do when they get there? But they start building the temple again. They plant their crops, they build their homes, and eventually they set their sights on building this temple. Why? Because we want God to dwell with us again. We're desperate for him. So they build this... (laughs) Thanks, man. So they build this new temple, and after they get it constructed, they look at it, and the older people that had seen the previous temple start to weep and cry. It was nothing like the original temple, not even close, but yet God honored it, and once again, there God's presence would end. And that is the end of the Old Testament. That's the last story, the last bit of narrative is the, tem- the temple is rebuilt after 70 years of captivity. God comes to dwell with his people and then the Bible goes silent for about 400 years. And after about 400 years, we get into the New Testament, the new part of our Bible And it's really interesting what words they choose to talk about Jesus. Look what it says in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 14. John the apostle is writing this. He's recounting his time with Jesus. He says the word of God, a title, the name of Jesus, right? Uh, Or a name for Jesus. It says the word of God, that's Jesus, became flesh. And what did he do? He dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the father. He is full of grace and he's full of truth. But this word dwelt is a really interesting word. Check out what it means in the Greek. It's skinu or something like that. It means to fix one's tabernacle, to have one's tabernacle, to abide in a tabernacle, or just a plain tabernacle. The Old Testament closes with the narrative of this temple being rebuilt. And when the 400 years later, when the New Testament starts, what's the very first thing in chapter one that John describes Jesus as? Let's import this word back into that verse we just read. And the word of God, that's Jesus, became flesh and he tabernacled among us. You see what John is doing? He's saying, hey guys, this is him. This is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the one that's going to change everything. 
Because the presence of God, it went from the dwelling place of God, it went from a garden, and then it was a tent, and it was a temple, but now I've got good news. Now the dwelling place of God is no longer in a temple, it's now in a person, and his name is Jesus. God has become flesh. The whole of God is inside of this man, inside of Jesus right here. This is what the Apostle Paul would write in Colossians chapter two. It says, for in Christ all All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All of God has been condensed into the person of Jesus. He is the walking, talking, living, breathing presence of God. No longer is it you go to this tent. No longer is it you go into this temple once a year. We have the presence of God right here in the person of Jesus. He's Emmanuel, right? He is God with us. And so many people experience that presence. So many people experience Jesus. They experience the glory of God, of God dwelling with his people in Jesus in a personal way. Stories of blind and lame and the deaf healed, of people forgiven, of people restored and raised to life again. We see these these stories of where people got to interact with him, laugh with him, eat with him, journey with him, be with him, and touch him. It was the presence of God in a human, in Jesus. And it was amazing. But as amazing as it was, On the night before he was crucified, he calls his disciples to himself. The presence of God dwelling with people. Calls his disciples and he says this. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm about to go away. Because unless I go away, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you he talking about? He's saying, guys, I'm about to go. Think about the shock and the horror for the disciples. He's been alluding to this. He's been talking about this, but he's saying, guys, it's now. That time that I've been referring to throughout these last three years, that time is like right now. Get ready, because I'm about to go. This is a destruction of the temple moment. This is invading Babylon, destroying the temple, seeing it burn as they're carried away into exile moment in the minds of the disciples. How can we, Jesus, (laughs) we've waited forever for this. We want to be with you. People get to actually be with God. The presence of God, you are God. And you're going away and you're saying it's for our good that you go? How, why? So that I can send the spirit to you is what Jesus says. How? Where are you going, Jesus? How is this going to happen? Here's what Jesus said earlier in reference to his death. Check out the imagery again and the words he uses. What's going to happen? How are you going to go, Jesus? Jesus answered them, I'm going to destroy this temple, speaking of his body. Destroy this temple? but I will raise it up again in three days. That's where I'm gonna go, guys. And that's exactly what Jesus does. 
He allows himself to be taken away. He allows himself to be rested. He allows himself to go on to the cross and allow himself, his body, his temple to be torn apart, to be broken open. Why? So that the presence of God could move yet again. Because this was always his plan. Not just for the fullness of God and the presence of God just to be in the person of Jesus, but he says, I've got something even better for you. The plan all along is for the presence of God not just to dwell in me, but now I want to give that same spirit to you. That's the purpose of the resurrection. After three days, he does exactly what he says he's gonna do. He raised up that temple, his body again. He came back to life and 50 days later, he sends the Holy Spirit to his disciples and to everybody that follows him. And now the same spirit that was in Jesus, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now dwells inside of those who follow him. This is why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, do you not know? <laughs> do you not know the good news? Do you not know how amazing this is? Do you not know that you are God's, what word? Temple. Do you see this pattern all throughout the Bible? Don't you know that you now are the temple of God and that God's spirit lives in you? Paul's saying, don't you know that the presence of God went from a garden and then it was in a tent and then it was in a temple and then it was in the person of Jesus, and he was crucified and resurrected. Why? So that now the presence of God could be on the inside of you, church. Isn't that good news? So what First Peter says, the apostle Peter, writing to followers of Christ, he, look at this. As you come to him, it's Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, you church, you that follow Christ, you are now like living stones. You see the temple Im imagery? It doesn't live in this temple of brick and mortar, but you are those stones. You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Church, that's what we are, the dwelling place of God. This is the end goal, the end game for God. This was a plan all along, even from Eden, for God to not just dwell with his people, but to, for God to dwell in his people. Once God's dwelling place was built stone upon stone, but now it's built person upon person. What else is the great commission other than God saying, expand my house, expand my dwelling place. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Unto what purpose? Why God? Because I want a bigger house. Because I want to dwell in more and more people. Because I want more and more of my children to experience my love and my presence and my goodness. And I want you to go out and spread this good news. But church, here's the call. Here's the point. It takes sacrifice for God to dwell with his people. From the very beginning, from the first place, it says that Christ was crucified from the foundations of the world before God ever even went into, in the beginning, let there be light. 
God knew it was going to happen. It was sacrifice from the very beginning on God's part. There was sacrifice for the next place, for the tabernacle. Check this out. And, 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 and pay attention to these highlighted words. Again, let's, let's follow this theme through. It says this. We'll read through a couple passages. We'll be out of here. It says in Exodus 25, this is the call to build the tabernacle, that tent way back when. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. Not a demand. He just rescued them. Could he demand? Oh, yes. Does he? No. Everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings that you're to receive from them. I love this list. Gold, silver, bronze, normal, uh, blue, purple, scarlet yawn, and fine linen. Goat hair. Okay. Uh, Ram skins dyed with red and another type of durable leather. Acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. Aren't you glad that you don't have to bring in some, like, animal pelts uh, when you give your offering? Lord, thanks for that. Really, really like the text to give or the online giving option instead of carcasses. <laughs> Onyx stones and other gems to be mounted in the ephod of the breastplate. Check this out. Then have them make a sanctuary for, why are we collecting this offering? Oh yeah, and I will dwell among them. What did it take for the tabernacle to be built? It took sacrifice by a group of people for the temple. David lays out the plans and he gathers all Israel together and he first of all says, hey, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna build this temple. And, and, and before this, you can read it in this chapter. He says, here's all that I'm gonna give. I'm gonna tell you my offering right now. And he lays out his royal offering and it's astounding. And then here's the call that he turns around and he makes to the rest of the people. Who then will offer willingly? You see that word again? Consecrating himself to the Lord today. Then the leaders of the Father's house, they made their, what? Free will offerings. As did the leaders of the tribes and the commanders of thousands and hundreds and the officers over the king's works. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents. That's a, that's a weight. 5,000 talents and 10,000 darsecs of gold. 10,000 talents of silver. 18,000 talents of bronze. 100,000 talents of iron. I, here's what, that means a lot, I guess. I don't know. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of this guy from this place. <laughs> then check this out. Then the people rejoiced. They had just given all this. And what was the response? They rejoiced. Why? Because they had given willingly with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. There was sacrifice for the tabernacle. There was sacrifice for the temple to be built. There was sacrifice for God to come in the person of Jesus. God emptying himself out, Scripture says, in coming to earth as a man. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate next month with Christmas. It, it's, it's, it's this miracle of God becoming man. There was sacrifice in that. For the next place, for the church to be established, you better believe there was sacrifice. What else is the cross? But God sacrificing himself. And, and until what point is Jesus doing that? So that the presence of God cannot just live in him, but then he could be resurrected so that the spirit can now dwell on the inside of you and me. It was sacrifice. 
And that sacrifice persists even in the resurrected church of Jesus. Check out 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul's talking to them about an offering, about a sacrificial offering that they've said, hey, we want to give this to the relief of people in Jerusalem. We know that your that church there is persecuted. We want to help them out. We want to further the kingdom of God. We want to give this offering. And here's Paul's instructions to them. See if any of these words sound familiar. Paul says, remember this, encouraging them to give. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give how? What you have decided in your heart to give. Remember those words? Not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. And keep this in mind, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you see the theme of sacrifice for God to be with his people? What is this relief offering gonna go do? It's gonna help the church. It's gonna expand the church in Jerusalem. Why? So that God can be with the people that he loves. Church, through this campaign, you're invited to join a long history of sacrifice for expanding the dwelling place of God here on earth. We know that the, this building that we're going to buy, that's not the dwelling place of God. We're the dwelling place of God for all of you that follow Christ. What is this building then? It is simply a tool that we're going to be able to use to further God's dwelling place, to build up the people in our church so that your kids, your students can grow up in a place that they can count on, a place that's going to be dependable, a place where they can count on a leader to share the truth of the gospel with them, a place that we're going to be able to see hundreds, if not thousands of people come to call upon the name of the Lord for them to lay down their lives and say, God, I surrender to you. And every person that surrenders their life to God, that's the dwelling place of God growing and expanding. That's what this is going to be. It's a tool to further the house, to further the dwelling place of God here on this earth. But it doesn't take place without sacrifice. And you're invited into that. We have three phases that this project is going to go in. The grand total is $2.4 million dollars. That's $2.4 million, right? That's no small number. We have this broken up into three phases. You need to know this. You may have already seen this in the guide that you got. It's on our website. You can get all the information. First phase is a little over half a million. This is going to secure the 25% down that we have to put on this building and all the administrative fees. If you bought a house, well, you get it. You know all the administrative fees. We got to test for soil samples, see if, I don't know, there's endangered butterflies and all that kind of stuff um, through this, all that fun California stuff. So that it covers all of that. Phase two is going to cover the renovations. And pretty much every square foot of this building, praise God for it. It's an awesome place. It needs to be renovated. Floors, <laughs> walls, ceilings, AV. We got to bring it up to make sure that it's a comfortable place for you and your family. And then phase three of this 
We'll finish it out a little over a million dollars in this last phase. That'll be to pay off the remainder of this loan so that then instead of going and paying the bank each month, uh, we can turn around and we can take those same funds and we can reinvest them into ministry opportunities, reinvest them into discipleship programs, reinvest it into staff, reinvest that money into furthering the gospel. So that's going to be how we cap this off. Here's what we're looking at right now. December 5th is our legacy offering. That's when we're bringing our gifts. That's when we're going to participate in this long history of sacrifice to further God's kingdom. And on December 5th, our goal is to knock out phase one, $548,000. Yeah. We're going to do this. We're going to build this. We're going to use this as a tool to continue this long history of expanding God's dwelling place. I want to ask you the same thing that Moses asked, that David asked, that Paul asked. Would you consider the giving? Would you ask God and say, God, what would you have me do? Would you, how would you have me participate inside of this? And then on December 5th, would you bring that free will offering would you bring that here and sacrifice and in worship to God? And we're going to see God do something special through our sacrifices together. Some of you, though, instead of giving a sacrifice today, you need to receive a sacrifice. You need to receive the sacrifice for the God that loved you, that made you, that gave his life for you. Because his desire this whole time was to come and dwell on the inside of you. If you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to receive this sacrifice. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? If you're in here today and you say, Andrew, that's me. <laughs> I want that sacrifice. I want to receive that this God that would, that would become a man, this God that would willingly go to the cross, that would suffer and die, that would give up everything, that's the God that I want to serve. I want to follow him. I want to receive his forgiveness. I want to receive his love. I want to receive his sacrifice. If that's you, on the count of three, I'd love for you to raise your hand. By raising your hand, you're saying, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm receiving this. I want to follow Jesus. Maybe you've done this a long time ago. <laughs> Maybe you've been avoiding this for a long time, but today's your day to come home. Would you follow Jesus on the count of three? Would you put your hand up so I can pray with you? And say, and Andrew, that's me. I want to receive Jesus today. One, two, three. Would you put your hand up so I can pray with you? Awesome. I see your hands back there. Thank you. Anybody else? Great. I see your hand too. Thank you. Anybody else? Andrew, that's me. Pray for me today. I want to receive this sacrifice for this God that loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. If you raise your hand, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. There's no magic words or anything like that. This is simply a heartfelt prayer from you to God. Would you pray this? Church, you believe in what they're doing. Can we all say this together? Repeat after me. Say, dear God, I believe Jesus is your son. Jesus died on the cross and raised his life again. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Today, I receive your spirit. I am a part of your church and your spirit dwells in me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.